The following is brought to you with no commercial interruptions. Listen up. You know, you, you mentioned the 90s, though. It was interesting because we have a competitor. We had a competitor in, in Washington, D.C. called WHFS, which was yeah, a yeah. really famous um, radio station. And in the 90s, they were the first to really embrace the alternative rock. You know, they whereas DC 101 in 1994, 95 was still playing Van Halen and and mm-hmm. Guns N Roses. HFS were like, we're going all in on grunge and we're, we're going to start playing alternative rock artists. And, you know, I, I know me personally, when I was researching whether I should take this job or not, for me, it was, well, HFS is the bigger radio station. So I, why would I want to work at the other radio station? And in my research, it was actually no DC 101's audience is two to one as far as what HFS is listenership was. And HFS in 2006, I believe, flipped formats to a, a Spanish thing. So that kind of justified my research, which was, yes, I know HFS is the cool thing and it has been the cool thing for the last 15 years, but the the, the station with the, the legacy and the staying power was DC 101. It's like, you know, the Yankees maybe didn't win the World Series this year, but the Yankees are still, when you think of baseball, you think of the New York Yankees, for yeah. better or for worse. I'm not, I'm not a Yankees fan. But um, <laughs> that's kind of what DC 101 is, is look, the, there'll be ebbs and flows. But since 1974, DC 101's been playing rock music. And I think DC 101 will always play rock music. I just knock that wood really hard, at least until I leave the radio station, hopefully down the road. And you'll be leaving because they're dragging you out of the station, right? Oh, no. <laughs> I, always, I always say, look... Um, we are all just temporarily sitting in this chair. So I'm not going to go, well, you know, I've been here for 20 years. I'm unfireable. If you start thinking that way, you'll be fired within a year. So whenever the ratings come out and they're good, I always go, okay, uh, six months till no one's on my ass about uh, (laughs) ratings. And then we got to go back in. We got to do it all over again. Welcome to season seven, episode 14 of the Better Band Podcast, an all-encompassing trip through every song in the Pearl Jam catalog. I am your host, Brandon Paloma. Each episode, I go track by track with a guest through every album, soundtrack, single, and B-side to discover why you simply can't find a better band. Welcome back to the Better Band Podcast. This is Brandon. Today, we're talking about the Riot Act track, Half Full, with my guest today, Roach. How's it going, Roach? Brandon, thank you for having me on, first off. And uh, I'm going to get the quick plug in already, if you don't mind. Uh, thank you for the, the the big solid you did for my podcast, which is called Jamly Matters. When we did the non-albums tracks rankings, I was we probably would have done 15 less songs, if, if not... <laughs> you and your comprehensive list that you were really kind enough to send over so and then we would have looked like even bigger poser pearl jam fans than we look already which is pretty big so thank you brandon and thanks for having me on the show i'm really excited about this and i'm really excited to talk about this song oh yeah it's your it's your favorite song i don't know as you're going through and ranking all the pearl jam songs this has got to be like just pinned it's like ah, oh, it's in the running for the final showdown of what my favorite pearl jam song is and i don't know how there's going to be any other songs that are going to be able to compete with that just from uh listening to you on your podcast yeah this is um and we can talk about the my podcast later we got the plugs in so we'll do the plugs at the rest of the plugs <laughs> at the end and i'll explain what the what the podcast and, and the kind of thought process of the podcast is but yeah, we just a teaser for that for the end of this episode. What I'm trying to do is rank 
like you always see this in like Spin Magazine or Rolling Stone where they go, oh, we're going to rank every Beatles song from worst to best. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, oh, that'd be a cool exercise for me to do for my favorite band. So that's that's something that I've always wanted to do. And I'm using the podcast, our podcast to to do that. And so as what we're what we're doing is we're just going through every album and we're trying to rank every studio song that Pearl Jam has done. And so uh, we are not finished yet with the albums and then we'll go back and the last track or the, the least favorite track on all of our rankings will then rank those until we can get to, OK, these are the number one songs from every studio album that we have. Which one's my favorite of all of them? And that's what we're getting to. And I, as I said in the Riot Act episode that we did on Jamly Matters, half full, if it's not going to be top five, it's easily going to be in the top 10 for me for favorite Pearl Jam songs of all time. And it's other than what I know is going to be the number one song. This song is the song that consistently elicits the most passion and feeling and chills from me on every listen. I never get tired of this song. <laughs> well, before we start getting into that song, though, too much. Yeah. Uh, this is your first time on and you have to go through the whole rigmarole that everybody else comes on when they're here for the first time. So I've got to ask you, Roach, when did you first hear of Pearl Jam? I first heard of Pearl Jam. I am 48 years old. I don't know. Is, is that like the is that the sweet spot demographic for a Pearl Jam fan, Brandon? Like, how old do you think if we did a median age of a Pearl Jam fan? Do you think it'd be I think like 48 to 52 maybe would be the, the sweet spot? I would say a little bit younger than that. I would say into the what? into the uh, probably 42-ish, 41, 42, because the radio was changing there, and that's kind of when everything was happening, and you're kind of young and impressionable, and especially if you have like older brothers or sisters or something like that that are into the scene and everything like that, you're looking up to them, and you're like, oh, okay, this is, this is cool, this is good stuff, and you know, everything was kind of dour and angsty in the 90s True. anyway, so True. you're probably into that so i would say i would say like all throughout the 40s to early 50s okay so th then I, I think i came to the band at the well for me personally i came at the exact right age mm -hmm. i was a sophomore in college and so i had always grown up with music around me my mother is a huge music lover and appreciator of music and a huge beatles fan so i had i had, had music and in some some cases good music around me all the time but i was a radio listener and so I really was, look, if it's on the radio, I know it. But if it's on an album, I probably don't know it because I'm not I wasn't buying albums or CDs or, or tapes on my own yeah. to just listen to my own music. And I guess that's a kind of longish way of saying I liked music, but I didn't have I didn't have my music. I, I liked if a radio station told me this was a good song, then I would listen to it. If my mom said this was a good song, then I would listen to it. But I didn't really have the the palette yet to go, I know what kind of music I like, and I'm going to seek out those types of, of musicians. When I was, when, when you, when you get to college, and I think a lot of people who went to college experienced this rebirth, I didn't have any older siblings. So when I got to college, you're, when you're living in the dorms, it's like, oh my God, James Taylor, this guy's <laughs> awesome. I never heard before. And like, you're just learning stuff. And uh, you know, a kid would come in and go, uh, a 
we I just got Use Your Illusion one and two from Guns N' Roses. And you're like, oh, so you like buy music for like yourself. That's awesome. So that my freshman year of college is when I was exposed to things that, you know, either my my mother or the radio station was not just like baby feeding me. So when I got back to college in my for my sophomore year, I had joined a fraternity and in August before classes start, but you moved in. So basically you got that weekend or week where you're just literally just hanging out drinking, basically the best <laughs> time of it you're ever going to have in your life. But you don't realize that I went to the fraternity house and they were like, they only were listening to 10 and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what are we doing here? Like when I left, we were listening to a lot of other stuff that wasn't grunge because that was, and, and just to give people some context, this was summer of 92. So 10 had been out, but like, I don't know, like Brandon, you know, 10 was a slow burn as far as when it became all caps 10. Yeah. yeah. And so when it came out, Oceans was released. Alive was a thing, but it wasn't like a huge thing. And then even flow. And then it like, then the snowball started to roll. So I think I was like, they, these guys discovered it over the summer and then brought it back to the house. So for me, it was like blowing my fucking mind that first of all, this is a kind of style of rock music that I am not familiar with. And secondly, it is blowing me out of this room with how bombastic and awesome sounding it is. And that was my first introduction to the band. I think that I'm, I'm, I'm really, really hazy on my time frame. So Brandon, jump in whenever you hear something like, dude, no. <laughs> they also like, so like it was all alive. It was all even flow. But then when they pivoted away, it wasn't to the rest of the tracks from 10. And I'm talking about, look, we're at a party or whatever. So we want just like hits on. Like then they would go to like State of Love and Trust. So mm -hmm. even like that, like I didn't really realize that State of Love and Trust at that time was not on 10 because like that was the other song that they were like this is also a fucking banger they weren't saying banger because it wasn't a slang word at that point <laughs> uh this is also a great song so like i don't know with my what my time frame is but it was obviously singles was already out and the soundtrack was out and it was like oh wow this is blowing my mind because it's like nothing that i've ever heard before and I remember we uh, that Christmas I got a CD player for the first time and I got three CDs Acton Baby U2 which is one of the best albums of all time 10,000 Maniacs Our Time in Eden which is a great great album and mm -hmm. if you heard the different change in my voice you will hear it's a really great album you should really go back to when you're in the right frame of mind not when you want to crash <laughs> out but yeah Our Time in Eden, good album and then the first album I ever bought was 10 or the CD yeah, I ever yeah. bought was 10 uh, because that was my purchase. So that's my that was my introduction to the band. And I can't tell you how exciting and exhilarating it was to have lived for 18, 19 years and really like music, but have it given to me by other people having the flip the script flipped and going, this is my thing. My mom didn't introduce me to this. My mom is like, how can how dare you? Because, you know when you're all cocky and 19 and you feel like your band's the greatest band in the world. I was just going around telling her, well, you know, Vetter Gossard is the new Lennon McCartney and she yeah, would yeah. lose her mind. And obviously that was, that's a ridiculous statement. Now listen, Brandon, <laughs> 30 years later, not so ridiculous a statement. However, six months into the life cycle of a band and I'm already comparing the writing team to Lennon McCartney, that's a ridiculous statement and I should have been slapped. However, I was just so excited and, and jazzed up to have my own thing that nobody else 
seem to know about and everybody else like I could introduce you to something rather than you give me your favorites and then I mm -hmm. glom on to your fandom. This was my thing. And I can't tell you how exhilarating and exciting that was for a kid who loved music but didn't have his own music at that point. Yeah, and now we're uh, at the age where we have our own kids and we're realizing, oh man, I'm just like my parents is just listening to this yep. old music that I listened to when I was a kid and my kids are just rolling their eyes at me. <laughs> right. Well, the hope is, Brandon, that we can, that we become my mom and through the power of osmosis and you just have the music on, at this point, they're rolling their eyes. But when they get to college, they're like, hey man, have you really listened to the music of Pearl Jam? Because oh, well, yeah, yeah. Your fucking mind. And everybody will go, no, man, I haven't. And then they will look cool to their friends because they know about this awesome band, much like Led Zeppelin was introduced to me by people. Uh, so the song, let's get it, let's get into it now. Uh, written music by Jeff Ament and lyrics by Ed. They first played it uh, December 5th, 2002 at the Showbox, the first of those two Riot Act debut shows. There's a Chop Suey video uh, for it that they made for a couple songs from Riot Act. Uh, it's also available on the Easy Street and Third Man records that are out there. It's what you have dubbed a uh, blues jam that, yeah! uh, that Pearl Jam Thank does, right? Terminology. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, no, of course, because I mean, there's 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 the blues jam, there's soaring jam, punk jam, and is there another one or? There isn't, there isn't at the moment, but there could be. Um, Slow jam? We, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. There. I think that there is a thing now where, like, and we've talked about this on the podcast, where you listen to it and you go, oh, this was an Eddie solo song that he just brought in. And yeah, yeah. The, the, band, the band just was like, you know what? You, you can put that on the album, but we're not going to add much to to the flavor of that song. So there is that, but I, we haven't come up with a, 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 a cool term to call it yet. The song it has, uh, I think, two lyrical um, callbacks, I guess you could say, in it. It's it's the second song on uh, the album that references the haves, as in haves and have-nots. It's also it also references uh, the middle. Uh, there's the lyric, uh, there ain't going to be no middle anymore. It's been said before. And there's a porch, which uh, also says there ain't going to be any middle anymore. There ain't going to be any middle anymore. Well, and I love that one because the next line is him calling out that he has used this line before, mm -hmm. which I think is just great because there shouldn't be some sort of, hey, I use this lyric already. It's it's unusable for the rest of my songwriting career. Mm -hmm. It's a good line. And the fact that he's using it again is great. And I love the fact that he says uh, there ain't going to be any mill anymore. It's been said before. It's, I like, it's like, you know what? I know I said it. I'm saying it again because it's still true. Yeah, and then it's also in uh, Love Boat Captain, he also says, uh, what is it? It's, uh, oh, damn it, what's the line? Uh, 
It's been something can't be said oh, enough. Uh, well, it's, yeah, all you need is love. It can't be yeah. said enough. All you all you need is love, which is the Beatles callback. Which uh, any Beatles reference that that the band puts out or 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 connection, I'm always here for. When he covered "You've Got to Hide Your Love Away," I played that for my mom, and I was like, it was like it was like a moment. It was like, Mom, here's my favorite artist of all time covering a song from your favorite because she was always a John guy, uh, a girl here's here's the here's that happening and this is this is our bonding moment our bands have come together and <laughs> it was great so yeah i'm always here for when when the band brings out some beatles connection because you can't go wrong referencing the beatles i think yeah because this this song is a real sort of environmental meditation this album is like super political i think as as far as their albums it's the end of their recording contract pretty much they just need to put together some compilations but like this is I think their final sort of, okay, this could be the last chance we have. Let's put everything on the table, political, environmental. Let's just say everything that we want to say, because who knows if people are going to listen to us after this, maybe. Yeah. And I don't know how much you want to get into Riot Act itself. Uh, I completely agree with what you're saying. And I also think the political climate called for this type of album. Mm -hmm. You know, we were coming off of the election of 2000, which was a controversial election. And then what you know, happened after that. And uh, whatever your politics are, we can all agree that the politics of the band are a certain way. And I, they definitely were turned off by what was going on politically at that time. And this was a, this was the perfect time to drop an album that was politically charged as it was for, for, for the reasons I just gave. And for the reasons that you just gave, this is the end of their recording contract. And we talked about this in Jamily Matters when we, we ranked Riot Act. If you think about it, this was so this was the end of their recording contract. The contract that they signed in 1991. Yeah. So from 1991 to 2002, they were beholden to a contract that they signed. And it's just it's it's just absurd and it's ridiculous and it's borderline egregious that record deals were that long. Yeah. And by the way, this wasn't the last Thing that they had to put out to fulfill that contract they still had to do lost dogs and they still did rearview mirror so it was like he here's everything we're out we're washing our hands but this is the last album of an official release of i guess original but first for an album release so for 14 years basically they were still being held to the contract that they signed before they got popular before they got famous and so yeah this was like hey we're done after this, we're doing everything that what we want to do. So here, take this and and please leave us alone. So the song, what what is it specifically that gets you so excited about this song? Was it was it a specific point in your life where you found it, or is just sort of uh, you know it's got like the bluesiness, red mosquito kind of sound to it that they don't really touch on all that much, and it just kind of floating around. Then Mike gets a chance to come in with his guitar and go all over the place, and you just kind of like yeah. Or was it seeing it in concert and? Ed with his uh, guitar shining in the light, which, you know, he doesn't play guitar on the song. So he goes over, picks up his guitar and has to shine it in the spotlight. So he gets like every single person uh, in the crowd. And I think I think, too, when he does that, it's it's also, you know, the part where he just says, uh, you know, won't someone save won't someone save the world? And he's shining that spotlight on everybody. And I think that's sort of like saying you know, it's not up to someone to save the world. It's up to you and it's up to all of you. And we all need to do something to try to change the way things are so that we can exist on this planet past the next 50 years or whatever until the uh, 
all the ice caps melt and we're choked to death on carbon emissions and everything. Powerful shit, Brandon. I had never thought about that. that. That's really that's good. I like that. No, I, that's good. There, I there are there are a couple of layers to my love of this song. But before I answer that, I, I have to throw something back to you. Mm-hmm. This doesn't feel like a Jeff song, though, does it? I, I like I'm like I I think I knew that Jeff Jeff wrote the music. But when you said music by Jeff, I I was like, huh? Because to me, this feels like a Mike song. And when I think of Jeff's songs, they don't usually come out sounding like this. They're a little more, I don't know, funkier uh, than than this. Mm-hmm. Like they're more piloty. God's Dice, what I think of. God's Dice is really what I think of when I think of a Jeff Amon song. Does this feel like a Jeff song to you? Not really. And plus he's got the, you know, like low light and nothing man. Yeah. Like yes. Like slower. off the beaten trail, different kind of funky musical styles. This feels like a straight blues song, which doesn't feel like something that would come from the mind of Jeff. I, I don't know. That, that kind of, it, it struck me as, hmm, this is a Jeff song. Interesting. Yeah. And, and plus too, they play it with a, uh, with a country blues open tuning mm-hmm. to it too, which is something that, uh, Stone usually does as well. So it's sort of like, ah, it's, it's kind of weird that I don't know if like he said, Hey, let's play it like this. And then Stone was like, Oh, you know, I'll just do the open string. So we get a real sort of right, bluesy yeah. sound to it. And Mike's just like, ah, I need to keep my guitar too normal so I can do my solos. <laughs> Yeah, it's, okay, I don't know. It's, I just thought that was interesting. You're right, because I think, when I think of this song, I think of Mike. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the first yeah, yeah. thing that, I, that comes to my head is Mike. But you're right, this also has a stonish feel to it as well. But the point is, I'm not getting to Jeff until later on, and I'm like, oh, this, this actually is his song. So, yeah, for me, I will tell you, and some of this stuff will be um, really, really basic. Wow. This is this is lowest common denominator liking of things. But listen, I, I don't judge what gets me into a song. And I, I hope that nobody else judges what gets them into a song either, because I just let a song get into my into my bones and, and let it rattle around and what whatever resonates resonates. Mm-hmm. For me, I have always loved songs, and this is outside of Pearl Jam. I always love songs that make me feel like I'm spinning. And I, they make me feel where I just put my arms out in a field and I just twirl like uh, Julie Andrews in The Sound of Music. <laughs> to me, that is that is musical perfection for me, is songs that give me that a feeling. That feeling and, and that's really one of the reasons why I love Pearl Jam songs that, that soar, which I call soaring jam songs. Unthought known amongst the waves, given the fly in mm-hmm. my tree. Those songs all make me feel like I'm just spinning. And the end of this song makes me feel like I'm spinning. And that's, look, again, 
It's like picking your favorite sports team because of the color they wear. Okay, I understand that's a dumb reason. But I, once I made my decision, I go all in on that sports team and I'm very passionate and I learn about the sports team. So whatever gets me to the party is fine. And then I'll enjoy myself at the party. But don't don't not answer the door because the party already started and you're late or you don't have the great invitation. That's what got me into Half Full. And that's what really settles, settles into my soul about the song. I love it. Look. The bluesy nature of of Mike is just fantastic in it. And to your point about seeing it live, that was the clincher for me. Seeing that 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 the the visual display of Ed being able to spotlight everybody at a show. And we're not talking about a show at the showbox. Yeah. We're going, we're at we're in arenas. And I had never seen that done before. And so I was like, first of all, this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> Secondly, it's really just it's it's look at the end of the day. And I I look, if you ask Ed in a moment over drinks, it's a gimmick. It's a it's a mm-hmm. it's a visual live performance gimmick where it's like I'm going to spotlight everybody. But it's a powerful, powerful thing where you're in a crowd and I saw them do this in Tampa. And so I wasn't like front row or anything. But to have a moment where Eddie Vedder from the stage has put a spotlight on me and the group of people around me, that means something. That was important. I felt I felt seen. And that that leaves a lasting impact on you. So I can't listen to the song without without remembering that awesome moment seeing it live but it doesn't mean that and it's because you know i think a lot of times we can't disassociate the live performance or an event that happened with the actual studio version i think the song leash is is kind of like the big thing for me i can't not hear that live like i can't listen to the verses version because it just doesn't have that energy mm-hmm. and just urgency that every live version is so whenever i listen to leash it has to be the live version it's hard to separate that I can do that with half full. I just think half full is great. And if you will allow me to just kind of take my words from the Jamley Matters episode and put them in here, when we get to the part where Ed is, won't someone save the world and holds it for me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He puts his hands up kind of like he's holding the world or whatever. Exactly. He's holding something in his hands. Right. Won't someone save, won't someone save the world? And then he just repeats it, world. And for me, I'm on a roller coaster at that point. And that is, we we just buckled in. And the the 14-year-old who's running the roller coaster and has their my life in their hands uh, just hit the button and says, enjoy your ride. And we start mm-hmm. going up that hill. That's that part of the song for me when he gets to that. And it just, it's building anticipation. And I got butterflies in my stomach because I know what's coming and it's exciting and it's exhilarating. And I am yeah, a little nervous because it's going to be kind of fun and I'm about to scream and I can't think. <laughs> and as we get to the top of that hill for that first hill for the roller coaster, Matt comes in with the bam, bam, bam. And then, and then, and everybody in the band just loses their shit and just goes off in 80 different directions. Mm-hmm. And it is so amazing and it is so awesome. And we go down that hill and I'm just like, my hands are in the air and I am along for the ride. And then, as if, because the music for me is really, really the thing that pops for me for this song, Ed comes in and just sings world and just world. Wor- and the way he sings it is, I, I'm, Again, I'm Julie Andrews in a field of wheat spinning (laughs) around. And as he's doing that and the rest of the band is just going off, it is an amazing experience that I said on the podcast. And I 
I could listen to the end of that song on a loop forever. Like if you had me at, at Gitmo and were trying to torture me <laughs> a loop, don't play that because I would be, I, you would just see a big smile on my face and they would go, this guy is unbreakable. Then they would play sleight of hand and I would, I would give all of the, all of all the information. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Oh boy. You're, you're whirling in the world. Oh, I'm, I'm whirling. Uh, and by the way, Brandon, you blew my mind. Give me another layer with the whirling in the world. And I love that. <laughs> so thank you. So, yeah, that's that's it's great. It's great. And I will say, like, look, the verses are the verses are good. But for me, what carries me from the song to that part of the song is Mike mm-hmm. and that blues, that bluesy, bluesy guitar. And, you know, the solo is, is really good. The verses and the choruses are really good and they're good enough to get me to the greatness of that song, which is right as we get to that crescendo and, and go off of that hill. Yeah, it's a real shift where the rest of the song is, you know, it's bluesy and everything, but then it hits that drop, the dun dun dun, and it kind of gets more sinister and it changes and it's like, oh yeah, where are we going now? And it just really almost shifts into sort of metal-ish sort of category, just how low and doomy it sounds, I guess, at that part. That's a great shout and it's totally true. And, you know, I'm not a... Pearl Jam. Well, I should say I'm a recovering Pearl Jam cultist (laughs) in that there was a point in my life where they could do no wrong. And I would twist myself in the pretzels to try to justify things that I don't really know -hmm. if if it was good or not. I'm not at that point anymore. There are songs and I'm thinking specifically Olay for some reason. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. The the middle part of the song just doesn't it doesn't fit the rest of the song. Like it, it feels like a different song. Yeah. This to your point, which is a fantastic one. This the, the song changes tone on that crescendo and, and and move. And you're right. It is very sinister. And I never thought of it that way before. It is a sinister kind of change. And it's a it's a growly, snarling change that's different from the beginning of the song. But still, like I, I still believe we're in the same song. No, we're yeah, still yeah, yeah. doing. We're still being true to the to the components of what the first half of the song were. But we're just doing it differently in the second half. And and wow, yeah, it's a great call. Is there anything else about this song that you need to gush about? I think that's pretty much all I had. The only other thing is is uh, you know when people are saying you know half full, half empty. Oh, it's about the optimism. You got to see things as half full, and you know, well, they're half full of shit. So, oh, okay, that's. Uh... <laughs> I guess uh, half 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 empty of shit. I don't know how uh, how that would work. I I I I'm glad you pointed that line out because I, I that's one of my favorite lines in the song is "Don't see some men as half empty, see them half full of shit." Don't see some men as half empty, see them half full of shit. I, I think that's a really clever line, and it's it's a funny line, but it's also it's like ah oh wait a second, mm-hmm. and then you start thinking about it, and you're like oh yeah, it 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 got me with this cleverness that's making me think now which is which is good and i I think look the one of the things and here's where my pearl jam snobbishness will come in which it doesn't come out very often but it's going to come out now one of the other reasons why i treasure this song so much is because it's not on a lot of people's best of list Mm-hmm. At least I don't, I don't think so, because I think there's a lot of when you start, if you, Brandon, were, were ready to put together your top 50 Pearl Jam songs of all time, it's a it's a hard list to do. And I think a lot of people would have similar songs throughout the list, maybe not in the order, but throughout the list. And I don't know if this song ends up on a lot of people's top 50. So and, you know, I'm looking at I'm looking at Pearl Jam dot com. They've played it 75 times. 
which is more than, oh shit, they're dusting off blank song. It's so rare, Mm -hmm. but also less than, yep, I've seen them four times on this tour and they've done it three times. So it's, it's, it's in that sweet spot where if they play it, you're not, not expecting it, but you're also not expecting it either. Yeah, yeah. It, like they play it just enough that it's not rare, but not enough that it's one of those. Okay, here comes Corduroy again. It's not that either. And so like, I'm saying all this to say this song feels like mine. Yeah. In the sense that I can say to people, yeah, half full, and people will go, oh yeah, great song, but not feel like as passionate about it as I do, but also know that it's a good song and it's a respectable song and it's a song that they've heard and a song that they like, but also not one that they are burned out on, but also not one that they might treasure as much as I treasure. So I think for a lot of those reasons as well, I, I value and I like this song because it feels like I, I hold it rather than Alive was on the radio 10 million times and everybody knows it. This is kind of my thing. And I like that. So since this is something that you feel is is personal to you, I guess we'll I'll wrap this up then right now. And I'll, I'll ask you, just like Eddie's asked at the end of Single Video Theory, since this is uh, the PJ30 year, uh, Roach, what does Pearl Jam mean to you? I'm going to ask I'm going to ask you a question which is going to be weird. No, which is that's weird fine. because we've never met. We don't know each other. Oh, I'm sorry if this is too personal then for you and yeah, no, you, no, no, no. you need to hold something close to the best. No, that's the thing and I think this is the this is this goes into the answer in that we look we don't know each other. We've never met. I don't know what you look like. Mm-hmm. Um but here we are talking about really personal things. Mm-hmm. But it, we're comfortable doing it because of Pearl Jam. And so I think when I give you my answer, that'll be tied up into that. But is it too, is it, is it overhitting the mark, Brandon? And this is the weird thing, because I don't know you, but I'm, I'm going to ask you for, for guidance <laughs> in this answer. Is it too weird to say that Pearl Jam is my life? Is that too weird or crazy? Or like if, if we were, if you and I were talking on a TV show that had nothing to do with Pearl Jam and I dropped you know, if we were doing the Oprah, Megan, and Prince Harry interview, <laughs> and as Oprah asked me a question, and I just said randomly, you know, Pearl Jam is my life, and I mean that literally. Would I get totally <laughs> ripped or goofed on on social media? Like, is it too much to say Pearl Jam is my life, literally? Well, this is a Pearl Jam podcast, and the people yes. who listen to this uh, are fans <laughs> of Pearl Jam, so I think you would have the people that are listening to this uh, agree that... No, it's not too weird to say. I mean, and plus, too, you know, you have a microphone in front of you. I have a microphone in front of you. You're kind of on the spot. So if I ask a question, even, you know, no matter how sort of uh, personal or esoteric it may be, kind of like, ah, I feel kind of obligated to answer it anyway, because, you know, we're making we're we're entertaining. We're, you know, putting on a show. <laughs> we're trying to make content, baby. <laughs> okay, well, then I'm going to go for it. If you don't mind, Brandon, I'm going to I'm just going to go for it. Pearl Pearl Jam, I don't think it's overselling it to say Pearl Jam is my life. I am in a profession where I work in music because of my passion for music, which was stirred and awakened by Pearl Jam, listening to Pearl Jam in 1991 or 1992 for me. So if that passion isn't stirred, I'm probably sitting in an office somewhere in Philadelphia not married to my wife, not having two wonderful sons, preteen sons. I probably am not living the, my quality of life is not as good as it is now. I get to do something that I love and enjoy and I get excited to go to work every day. And I've been able to travel 
because of of all of that stuff. But even like so, like I think that's not overselling it to say Pearl Jam is my life. But also even stuff like you know the first time I ever left Philadelphia on my own was to drive to see my first Pearl Jam show, which was funny enough was in Fairfax, Virginia, which is suburban Washington, D.C. Didn't know foreshadowing was. But the first time I ever like took a road trip on my own mm-hmm. was to see Pearl Jam. So, yeah, Pearl Jam awakened something in me that was there, a love of music. But it, Pearl Jam was the catalyst, the enzyme that that started that process. And so I don't think that it is ridiculous to say Pearl Jam is my life. A lot of my thoughts and views on the world have come through listening to the lyrics of of Eddie Vedder and researching what certain things were, what certain things mean. You know, I'm a biracial person. So my mom is is white. My dad is black. And I had a lot of struggles with that growing up. I grew up in a not predominantly. I grew up in a white neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So like I had some I had some struggles because I was a black kid in a white neighborhood. And, you know, this is typical Gen Xer. But the music of Pearl Jam let me know that there were other people who maybe not weren't going through the same struggles that I was, but were going through struggles, weren't just kind of coasting through life and letting life happen to them. They shit was going bad for them and they were trying to deal with it in the best way they could. And, you know, the, the music of Pearl Jam, the lyrics of Eddie Vedder expressed that to me at a time where I, I needed to, to hear that. And I need, I was forming thoughts that would come through more so when I became more of a confident adult, but those seeds were being planted by, by Eddie when I was 19 years old. And do I have the personality that I do now if I didn't take X amount of time, years to kind of go over what being biracial means to me? What kind of, what, what does acceptance mean? Mm-hmm. What does being angry that you're not accepted mean? And those kind of quote unquote therapy sessions were done with headphones on, yelling and raging to Pearl Jam songs and lyrics that were expressing those same things. So on a personal level, like a, an internal level, that's what Pearl Jam means to me. And then I gave you the professional level. And then I gave you my, you know, the the life that I lead, the family that I have and how it relates to Pearl Jam. So yeah, like I'll crap on certain songs that I don't like, or I'll, I'll make a snarky comment, but nothing will ever be as important and transformational in my life. Like nothing. And I don't think other than my mother, no one will do that more than, than Pearl Jam has. And, you know, specifically Eddie Vedder because of the lyrics that, that have been put out. So I, it's not crazy for me to say that Pearl Jam is my life, but I, I also think that that's a really, if somebody just said to me, hey, Ariana Grande is my life, literally, I would hard roll my eyes. But if they <laughs> gave the answer that they, I just gave, I would go, sorry, man, You're right, Ariana Grande is your life. And I apologize for saying otherwise. So hopefully everybody's apologizing to me now for saying that <laughs> statement. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a difference, I think, between saying it's your life and it's your personality. Because I think if you if it's your personality, I think you're going to be apologetic and be like, oh, no, no, no. Every song on Lightning Bolt is pure gold. You know, kind of you're going to be an apologist and uh, uh, in some sort of uh, a cult where like you were saying earlier and and as opposed to being like you know this is a part of my life and i know that there are good things and there are bad things that have happened in my life there are kind of things i cringe at that i did in the past and there are things that you know it's like oh i can do this a little bit better but you know it's it's what i got for now so right 
All right. All right. Th well, thank you. Uh, it was great being on your couch, Brandon. And uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure my I hope my health insurance can cover the copay uh, so that we can do this again sometime because it was really it was awesome. Well, yeah, of course. Um, so let's uh, if people hopefully people have heard this and, and want to hear you more talk about Pearl Jam or whatever else you're into. How can they uh, how can they do that? Well, first, don't go to the Pearl Jam forums for a thought process on what Jamly matters. That's, that's the number one. Th if there's one takeaway, it'd be that, Brandon. Don't go to the Pearl Jam forums for their thoughts on my Pearl Jam podcast. Uh, I, I just want to say that as cringy as some people might think that the term Jamly is, I think that yeah. Jamly Matters is the perfect name, and I appreciate it. Uh, specifically because you know it's it's a takeoff on family matters which you Correct. know is you know which which was a show that you know there are all these different types of shows that were like in the 90s and stuff like that and they had you know black families and stuff like that and so it really normalized and gave you know white america the quote-unquote normal people or whatever a look into a different point of view and different <laughs> americans who are living here with them and you know as a latinx guy myself like i didn't have you know there weren't you know there were only other black people on tv and so it's kind of like okay well this is as close as i can get to something that i relate to so you know i watch family matters i watch fresh prince and there was a bit more connection even though there wasn't like a one-to-one -one connection it was a sort of like uh this is it's not white so it's something that i can get a little more out of than you know your other 902 and or what have you you know that was uh that was so well said brandon i am going to literally lift this excerpt and when someone shits on jamly matters <laughs> on the on the pearl jam forums i'm going to play that and then they're going to have to look in the mirror and deal with themselves <laughs> how they have shamed they've name shamed my podcast that was awesome i love that uh because you know yes i don't like the word jamily but when you put matters after it mm -hmm. it's it literally sums up the uh everything that i want my podcast to be mm -hmm. yeah jamily matters is a silly name let's not take this seriously why are you <laughs> sweating this so much we're talking about things that have to do with Pearl Jam. That's what it is. I had to come up with a name and Jamily Matters made me chuckle. And I think it's funny. The The intro guy for our podcast says, this podcast will stir your passion. And I hope it does. If it does negatively, great. You know what? Stirring your passion in a negative way makes you feel alive. Cool. Do it. Hopefully it stirs your passion to make you feel alive and feel good, which is what our hope is. But even if it doesn't, fine. So just a quick overview of Jamily Matters and what it's about. It's the lifestyle of Pearl Jam. We call it Pearl Jam Explored. I got the idea for the, the podcast from a podcast called Something About the Beatles. And if you're a Beatles fan, please go and check out that podcast. It's really, really good. And all they do is just talk about the Beatles, which sounds, okay, well, what does that mean? It's not just the songs. It's not just the albums. It's also, they do an episode on the relationship between George and John. And then a, an episode on the relationship between John and Paul. So it's just talking about the many layers of what the Beatles are and what they were. And, and then also, yeah, they discuss songs, they discuss eras, they discuss what the year 1965 meant to the Beatles. And I just thought that was really, really good. If you're a fan of the Beatles, it's like, yeah, this is not just 
every episode is not just about the White Album. It's cool. And so I took that theme and I just plopped it into my favorite band, which is Pearl Jam. And what we want the show to be is just conversations about Pearl Jam. So we had an episode where we just talked about some of our favorite Pearl Jam merchandise that we've acquired over the years. And, you know, May of 2020, we did an episode on Pearl Jam and social justice and what Mm -hmm. songs are uh, from Pearl Jam really resonate with you from a social justice point of view. We have... Some really cool and fun things coming up in the future where we're going to talk to people who may or may not be well known about their Pearl Jam experiences and how they came to Pearl Jam. And we're we're going to talk to the president of Third Man Records about why he loves Pearl Jam as much as he does. And we're just going to have fun with it. And the the kind of thread that will take you through the podcast is Billie Jean, my co-host, and I trying to find to rank all of our all Pearl Jam studio albums in order. So we'll do an episode on Pearl Jam merch, and then we'll do an episode where we rank the songs of, of Binaural. And then we'll do an episode on something else that has to do with Pearl Jam. Like we have a couple episodes or who is your favorite lyricist from Pearl Jam that is not Eddie? So your non-Ed lyricist from Pearl Jam. And just have a, a fun conversation about Pearl Jam with that being the theme. So that's what Jamly Matters is all about. And if that's interesting to you, I hope you subscribe wherever you got this podcast. I'm sure it's also available. And then um, jamlymatters at gmail.com if you would like to reach out. And again, Brandon, thank you so much for having me on this episode. I'm a little upset that I didn't make the cut for grievance, but it will, <laughs> I'll let that I'll slide i'm hopeful that i get worked back into the rotation at some point although i'm thinking so we're at this point we're three quarters of the way through riot act right brandon is that where we are Mm -hmm. so what do we have still to come we have are you gonna do lost dogs oh yeah okay well so you're gonna be doing this podcast until 2090 (laughs) (laughs) well not quite that long but you know it's it's the gigaton uh, got me renewed for another season, so uh, it's, it's going for a little bit longer. Congratulations, you got the call. We're renewed. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm thinking, and that's the other thing. And, and I, can, do you do you feel like talking a little bit about how your sausage is made, or, do, or is that behind the scenes stuff? No, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Do you? Are there certain songs that you're like, okay, this needs to be done this way and you have to put like a circle around it? Or is it really, hey, I got a group of people who want to talk about Pearl Jam. You choose what songs and we'll fill in the blanks there. Because there's a couple of songs that I would go, I would like to be a part of this episode. But if you've already gone, hey, you know, the guy from Live on Four Legs really is a super, super uber fan of this song and can already talk about this. Don't need you there. Oh, no, I, it's, it's all sort of a, if you've been on before and you want to talk about something, then when the time comes around, you know, I'll get, uh, I'll let you know when I'm, uh, when I'm having people sign up and then, you know, putting the call out on Facebook or on the Pearl Jam message boards or whatever like that saying, Hey, you know, I got a mm-hmm. podcast. If you want to talk about this uh, specific song on this album, you know, let me know and we'll see where we can slot uh, where we can slot people in. And sometimes I'll have songs like from the fan clubs and it's kind of like, okay, who, you know, if you want to talk about, uh, you know, this song that nobody cares about, maybe it can give you a little bump up and talk about uh, something you really want to talk about down the line. Maybe we just did uh non albums, studio songs, part mm-hmm. two, which was basically two thousands fan clubs and the songs that they put on different soundtracks. Brandon, I got to tell you, I probably listened to, if you take Love, Rain Over Me and Someday at Christmas out, I probably listen to all those songs combined 50 times. It's, mm-hmm. like, it's like 15 songs. So yeah, shout out to, to the person who, who wants to do 
Turning Mist because that's a, <laughs> that's a song that I barely know exists. And I like it, but I didn't barely know it existed. Here's what I'll say, Brandon. Keep me in mind for Backspacer. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's some there's some really great songs on Backspacer. I think Backspacer is a little underrated at this point, mm-hmm. but I really love I love Backspacer. And there's a couple of songs on there that I think are just some of the best songs they've ever written. So now, look, if you're doing Lost Dogs, uh, I'll look forward to you hitting me up in 2025 as you get into Backspacer. <laughs> uh, but yeah, after it takes, then uh, I'll wait to 2025 because I think Backspacer is worth worth talking yeah, about. And 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 I just want to say I just accidentally left off sonic reducer on my list that i sent to you i know it was on there i even covered it i covered it my first season uh it was you know years ago when i first did it but it's there and i knew it i was it it was just a a, a clerical error so don't uh you know (laughs) pearl jam snobbery which which should be an episode of Jamily Matters at some point. Look, and I, we've alluded to this Pearl Jam message board. They is the height of Pearl Jam snobbery. And like, if you forget one nugget from 2004 that no one knew about, there is somebody that knows about mm-hmm. it and will point it out to you and point it out to you in a way that will make you feel like you should have your Pearl Jam fan club card revoked because you forgot about the one nugget from 15 years ago that ever, nobody else knew. And so I, I pointed it out to you and I'm like, hey, because by the way, people don't know, Brandon gave us maybe 30, 30 plus songs and he forgot one. <laughs> he left off one. And as soon as I emailed you back, I was like, dude, this list is awesome. Uh, I really just emailed you back about that because I wanted you to confirm that Sonic Reducer is a song that we should have ranked. Yeah, yeah. And that was the reason. Because I was like, well, this list is comprehensive. He knows more than me. Did you forget Sonic Reducer? And I know you because you are a Pearl Jam fan. As soon as you got that email, you wanted to ram your head into a wall going, oh, man, <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't know that I'm a huge Pearl Jam fan, which is every Pearl Jam fan's reaction when another Pearl Jam fan goes, would you know, do you remember that? Ah, I knew, I did know that. I did know that. <laughs> I did know that. So I knew that you knew that, Brandon. And I'm sorry if I gave you any agina by making you go, oh, uh. oh, no, no, it was fine. I just, you know, I, I, I got I to, uh, okay, good, good. I, I got to, uh, oh, damn it. What's the word I'm looking for? I got to protect my honor. I got to stand up for my honor. Defend my honor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and this is the problem. Uh, this is the 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 hard part about doing these podcasts. Is we do these podcasts because we we love Pearl Jam, but we're also doing a podcast where we're just talking into a microphone. So we're kind of doing this on the fly. We're not reading from a script. So yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. you're gonna forget. Hey, when what? And I did it this episode. When was ten released? Now, as you're listening to this episode, thinking to yourself, well, everybody knows that. Okay, fine. Let's put a live microphone in front of your face and let's start throwing facts out and see how if you don't get go go. Oh wait a second, I don't I don't actually remember when Ten was released. Released. We know this. We're just wor- working through this live. So please cut us cut the Pearl Jam podcasters some slack. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, thanks, thanks for coming on, Roach, and, and having a, a great conversation with me about this song. I love what you're doing. I really appreciate what you're doing. And again, we do this because we we are passionate about the band, and you. This podcast does exactly what it should. It makes me passionate about Pearl Jam, and it makes me want to go revisit the music of the greatest band that we have ever heard before. So, thank you so much for having me on, and thanks for doing this this podcast. I appreciate it. The Better Brand Podcast is produced by ListenUpReno.com and Brandon Paloma and published using a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 license. 
Please visit creativecommons.org or email listenupreno at gmail.com for more details. All music played is owned by the respective publishers and copyright holders and is reproduced for review purposes only under fair use. You can subscribe to the Better Band Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or from betterbandpod.com using your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Better Band Pod. I am on Twitter at Brandon P. B-R-A-N-D-E-N-P. If you like the job I'm doing here, you can go to ko-fi.com slash Brandon P and leave me a $3 tip. Or give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to tell your friends. If you would like to be a guest on a future episode, send an email to betterbandpod at gmail.com or send me insights and stories you'd like to share and I'll read them on the season finale episode. Again, I'd like to thank my guest Roach and as always, this is Brandon saying to alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems.